The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. This is the beginning of book two of the Psalms. It's Psalms 42 through 72. Psalm 42, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mitzar, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We're in Numbers 35, 9 through 21. Second of three sermons in Numbers 35. They're all tied together. You kind of have to really know all three of them to get the whole thing, but it's still on its own, a beautiful passage. Verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait hurls something at him so that he dies or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. 
When I was young, probably about 10, my parents took my brothers and myself to a place in North Carolina that had a golf course where the first tee off was off the side of a mountain. It was a nice place and having never golfed in my young life, I went out with a few others to hit balls off the side. When it was my turn, I stepped forward and gave it my best try. I have no idea if I even hit the ball, but a girl had walked right up behind me as I was swinging and I beamed her in the neck right here. It was so hard that her neck swelled up and she was in real pain, just an inch higher and she would have been dead. What she did was not intelligent and what I did was unintentional, but it was also something that happened to a group that my grandfather was with in college. One guy went to hit a golf ball and his club hit a guy behind him in the head. He immediately went into a seizure and while he was being carried to get attention, his body slackened and he was dead. The person who hit the guy dropped out of school and apparently drank his life away. He became his own avenger of blood, condemning himself for what was an innocent action. Our text first comes from Hebrews chapter 6. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. In Israel, the guy who struck the other would have actually been considered a manslayer, and the avenger of blood could have come after him. Understanding this was a part of the human condition, the Lord set aside cities where that person could have fled to in order to save his life. We will see another part of the details of this today. For the innocent, there was a place of refuge. But the truth that we discover in the Bible is that none of us are truly innocent. We stand guilty of committing the sins of life, and we can and should expect judgment for this. But there is a place of refuge that we can flee to. For those who have so fled, we truly have a hope set before us. The saving message of Jesus is the place of refuge. And in reception of that word, one can lay hold of that marvelous hope which he offers. Though the author of Hebrews was writing to the Hebrew people, the message is applicable to all who come to him for refuge, whether an individual of the people of Israel or whether it is a Gentile from the furthest reaches of the planet, all can come to him and find refuge. For now, let us get into these verses and continue through the chapter. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is six cities for refuge. It's verses 9 through 15. Verse 9, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verses 1 through 8 describe the cities designated for the Levites. However, if you remember, the designation of the six cities of refuge were actually mandated before the designation of the other 42 Levitical cities. Thus, there was a stress upon them which anticipated further clarification. The passage now before us will respond to that by providing that clarification. Thus, we now see the usual formula for opening a new section of law, even though it is actually a further explanation of what was mandated in verse 6 with the words, Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. Verse 10. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan. The words are anticipatory, 
speaking of the time when Israel has entered into the promised inheritance. As a typological reminder, the Jordan, or the descender, is a type of Christ. Just as Jordan descends from the heights to the lowest place on earth, so Christ descended from the heights of heaven even to the pit of death. It speaks of his advent. With that in mind, the passage takes on a much fuller meaning for us to consider. Verse 11, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you. As noted in the previous sermon, the word miklat, or refuge, is seen 11 times in this chapter. This is the second use. It signifies a place of refuge and asylum. As noted last week, the word comes from the word kalat, which means stunted. Its one use in Leviticus spoke not of offering anything that was stunted to the Lord for the fulfilling of a vow. Thus, when one is in a place of refuge or asylum, they are taken in. Their lives are stunted from going out. Such a place of confinement is so, verse 11 continues, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. This precept was originally promised way back in Exodus chapter 21. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. That note of what would occur is now dealt with in detail here in Numbers 35. It is for the Ratzach, or manslayer. As noted last week, it is a word defined by law. 20 of its 47 uses are in this chapter. Of these 20 times, it is alternatingly translated as manslayer or murderer based on the guilt or innocence of the offender. However, because the same word is used for both, it carries an underlying thought that whether guilty or innocent, it was a form of unsanctioned taking of human life. The cities of refuge are for those who have committed this act, but who have done so innocently. The guilt is there, but it is a guilt which falls under the covering and protection of the law. As John Lang says of these cities, they are places of refuge which were located among the Levitical cities and were thus passed under the protection of the Levites, but by the law under which they were appointed were not only bulwarks of justice and its enforcement, but also of grace and its dispensation, and thus glorified the Holy Land. These cities were to be conveniently accessible for all people within Israel. There was to be ready access to them so that the people would be unhindered in their flight to safety. The word translated as accidentally means unintentional. It was used frequently in Leviticus and in Numbers chapter 15 concerning unintentional sin. It is a noun which is here prefixed by a preposition. It is more precisely translated as in his inadvertence. Verse 12, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. Here the word ga'al is used. It has already been seen numerous times in the sense of a kinsman who has the right to redeem his relative or a person who desires to redeem property or some other thing of value. For example, in Ruth, Boaz is termed a kinsman redeemer. The word is used to describe the Lord as the Redeemer quite a few times in Scripture. Here, it speaks of the same kinsman relationship, but instead of being a Redeemer, the individual is considered as the relative's avenger. This will be seen in the coming verses where the word dam, or blood, is added. He is the kinsman, or avenger, of blood. The root of ga'al is primitive, showing that it was a precept that went back into antiquity. It is originally based on the precept which predates the flood of Noah. In Genesis chapter 4, right at the very beginning, Cain killed Abel, and the Lord sentenced him for his act. In Cain's response was, 
My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Because of this, the Lord placed a mark on Cain, as it says, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Cain understood that his actions deserved death by the hand of another. As all men at that time were closely related, any of his relatives had the right to kill him. The Lord, by marking him, set a sign for refuge from such an action. This continued to be understood in Genesis 27. After Jacob stole Esau's blessing, his mother Rebekah said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Rebekah feared for Jacob. Esau was mad enough to kill him, but she also knew that this would mean another close relative of Jacob could in fact kill Esau under the principle of the avenger of blood. Thus, she would be left without either. For the manslayer noted here in Numbers, the death of the person he struck occurred in an unsanctioned way, meaning outside of the laws of war, judicial punishment, and so on. Because of this, the Gaal, or avenger, has the right and the responsibility to avenge his relative's blood. The cities of refuge are set aside to protect this rightful avenger of blood from taking the life of one who may be innocent. So, verse 12 continues, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. Outside of the city of refuge, his guilt or innocence does not matter. If the avenger finds him, he may be killed without any wrongdoing being imputed to the avenger. Once inside, the manslayer is protected by the law of miklat, or refuge, and he may not be harmed until his case is determined by the law of the land. The word translated as congregation here is edah. It comes from ed, which signifies a witness, or abstractly it speaks of testimony. Thus, the word is fitting for a trial which would take into consideration the details of the matter at hand. This is important to understand because verse 25 will show that the manslayer actually stands before the congregation of where the act was committed. And yet in Joshua 20 verses 4 through 6, we read this. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then, if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled." There was to be an evaluation by the city of refuge. If accepted, he was to be protected by them. If the avenger of blood came to the city and requested his family right of revenge, stating that the slaying was not accidental but purposeful, then there would have to be a further trial. Such a trial would take place before the congregation where the violation occurred, obviously still under the protection of the Levites. If you remember, the Levites were taken in place of the firstborn of Israel. And so they actually stood in a unique way as a type of firstborn in relation to the people. 
One can see Christ in this who is called by Paul the firstborn among many brethren. In this capacity as firstborn, the Levites could claim a sort of special family relationship to those who came to them, and also as appointed defenders of the innocent. The Levites could then grant mercy on them through their defense. If found innocent, he was returned to the city of refuge for safety until the death of the high priest. Only after the high priest's death could he return home without fear of retribution. We'll explain that next week. Verse 13, and the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. This was stated first in verse 6. It is now repeated. The idea is that of closeness to all points within the land, so that anyone could find access to such a city within a day's journey. The law is set here for the initial granting of land to Israel. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses will expand on this. He'll say, Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all the commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. Verse 14, you shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. The three on the east of the Jordan will be appointed by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live, Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramot in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. These three on the east will be reaffirmed in Joshua chapter 20. The three on the west of the Jordan will also be named at that time. Here's what it says there. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. There is about 30 miles from any point in Israel to the nearest city of refuge. Verse 15, these six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Here, provision is made not only for an Israelite, but anyone who slayed another without intention. It includes the stranger, meaning someone who is simply passing through as a temporary dweller, and the sojourner, meaning someone who is not of Israel, but who dwelt among them. These held the same rights of refuge as a native of Israel. This looks to what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, had been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Gentiles who temporarily or permanently took up residence in Israel were included in this particular precept, sharing in Israel's commonwealth. Today, that extends to all who come forward to what these cities of refuge anticipate and picture. In the Mishnah, the Jews say that such a stranger or sojourner only had this right of refuge if he slayed another stranger or proselyte but not 
if he slayed an Israelite. That flies in the face of the text of the Bible, which makes no such restriction. It diminishes the value and intent of how this passage points to Christ. Concerning such refuge, there is a note in Exodus 21, verse 14, which shows that the altar of the Lord was considered such a place of mercy as well. There it said this, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. When one first came into the tabernacle, he would come to the altar of burnt sacrifice. The altar is where sins were expiated, where mercy was granted, and from which a propitious relationship was reestablished with God. Charles Ellicott, citing several ancient sources, says that in most parts of the ancient world, a scruple was felt about putting criminals to death when once they had taken sanctuary, and those who did so were regarded as accursed. The Mosaic law regarded this scruple as a superstition and refused to sanction it. A person who had willfully and intentionally killed another was not to find mercy, even at this place of mercy. However, in the same chapter, the Lord said that he would appoint a place, meaning cities of refuge, where such a person could flee. However, if the place where restoration with God was not available, then there would be no other place that he could flee to. He was to be taken from the altar and put to death. This actually occurred after the death of David. In 1 Kings 2, verses 5 and 6, David gave Solomon his final instructions before his death. This included a charge to bring the misdeeds of his general, Joab, back on his own head. Here's what he said. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. Then he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. The killing of Abner and Amasa was exactly what that verse in Exodus was speaking of. Joab had acted on his own accord and in a prideful manner against David's orders. He used the death of his own brother, Asahel, as a pretext for killing Abner and Amasa. Because of his actions, which brought a stain on David's name, David so charged Solomon. After David's death, Solomon took the appropriate action against Joab. Here's what it says. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adoniah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar, and King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king saying, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, do as he said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with the sword, Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord.
Joab died without mercy at the horns of the altar for the willful murder of the innocent. Therefore, the command of Exodus 21.14 was fulfilled in him with the exception of first removing him from the altar. Of this, the Geneva Bible states, the holiness of the place should not defend the murderer. The same is true with these cities of refuge now. All cities of refuge were Levitical cities, meaning that they were the property of the Lord in a more poignant way than the rest of Israel, and thus they were holy. They were set apart for the defense of the innocent, but not for the defense of murderers. In Joab's case, he was at the place of mercy, if it could be found. There was no point to run to a city of refuge because, first, he knew he was guilty. Secondly, he would have been returned to Jerusalem for a trial anyway. As he was already there at the holy place of hoped-for mercy, a city of refuge could provide no more safety than the altar itself could. This is what the next verse will now tell us after a short poem. Where can I go to save my life? How can I get free from what I have done? I killed a man, but not in strife. In innocence, I have slain this one. But the avenger of blood waits for me to take my life for what I have done. Is there a place to where I can flee? Is there a place to where I can run? Who will save me from what has come about? Who can rescue me from what I have done? Is there a chance for me? How will it come about? Lord, my only hope is that to you I run. Our second thought today, the murderer shall be put to death. It's verses 16 through 21. Verse 16, but if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Here begin several specific instances of murder rather than unintentional manslaying. The first speaks of a person who strikes another with barzel or iron. The word is believed to come from an unused root, meaning to pierce holes. It is possible to hit someone with iron unintentionally and kill him. This is recorded, for example, in Deuteronomy 19, where it says, And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. However, it is obvious that such a person could intentionally kill another with an iron implement as well. The one who committed the act could flee to a city of refuge, proclaiming his innocence, the avenger of blood could come and claim it was premeditated. In such a case, a trial would be necessary. If the act was deemed as intentional, as it says, Rotseach hu mot yumat ha rotseach, murderer he dying shall be put to death the murderer. Verse 17, and if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. The idea here is a stone intentionally used to kill another. The Hebrew simply says, with stone hand. Thus, it could be one which is thrown or one which is clunked on the head. Throwing a stone which kills another, however, could be without intent. Again, the provision is for the city of refuge to give asylum to such a person until a trial could be conducted. If the act is determined to be intentional, then again, as before, murderer he, dying, shall be put to death, the murderer. Verse 18, or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The word weapon is not in the original, even if it is implied because it became a weapon. It simply says instrument of wood. 
One could accidentally whack someone else on the head with a club, a bat, or whatever. However, such an item could also certainly be used intentionally to kill another person, as Robert Duvall did in the movie The Apostle, one of my favorite movies of all time. As with the two previous instances, this is the purpose of both the City of Refuge and of any trial by the congregation. Guilt was to be determined, and if it is found to be so, the person is a murderer, and he shall be put to death. As is obvious, the act of murder carries a penalty, and that penalty must be executed. The reason for this will be seen towards the end of this chapter, next week. What is also obvious is that no guilt is imputed to the one who kills the murderer. It is his right and his responsibility. Understanding that, even though this is an Old Testament law and precept, it follows logically from both before the Mosaic Covenant and after it in New Testament times as well. That it is the right and responsibility of humanity to execute capital criminals. Though there may not be an avenger of blood within the family to execute such, it is the obligation of society that capital criminals in fact face execution. This will be seen more clearly in verse 33. For Israel, under the Mosaic law, provision is given first to the Goel Hadam, or avenger the blood, to handle the matter. Verse 19, the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. This verse applies in more than one way. It could be that the avenger came upon the murderer in a chance meeting, and he could kill the murderer without any fear of offense to God or retribution from society. It can also mean that the murderer is handed to him by those who found him guilty. That is seen, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 19. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. However, of this verse, John Gill says this, not only shall have power to do it, but as it seems should be obliged to do it, be the executioner of the murderer, but not before his case has been heard, examined, tried, and judged. This is incorrect. It was the right of the avenger of blood to kill this person whether he was guilty of premeditated murder or simply accidental slaying of the avenger's relative. This is exactly why there were to be at least six cities of refuge and why the provisions later stated in this chapter are given. The avenger of blood had the right to avenge the death of one who killed another, even if by accident. No guilt of murder was imputed by the Lord, and the society had no right to next convict him of murder for his avenging of his relative's blood. An example of what this verse speaks of is found in the account of the woman from Tekoa, who went before King David with a petition. David understood the law and what the consequences for intentional murder were. But the woman came forward in hopes of obtaining mercy, according to her account spoken to him. She says, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family is risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also, so they would extinguish my ember which is left, 
and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Indeed, in this example, it says that the whole family had risen up to take vengeance. It wasn't the nearest relative, but all of them who jointly looked to this precept as their right to do away with the offender. This is what the law demanded as we continue to see. Verse 20, if he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies. Here are several new words. The first is sina or hatred. It is a noun coming from the word sane to hate. Next, the word hadaf or to push is given. It can signify the act of pushing or in a more general sense of driving out one's enemies. Another rare word is tzediah, or the state of lying in wait. This will only be seen here and in verse 22. That comes from a more common verb, which signifies the action to lie in wait. The words here and in the next verse are directed to indicate obvious intent leading to the state of death. An example of the first is found in Luke chapter 4. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. Then they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they may throw him down the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. The one who gave the law to Israel and who clearly spoke from the writings of that law, truths which were found distasteful to them when they heard it, actually had such an attempt made against him. In this, these people would have made themselves liable for punishment under this same law. The irony is obvious. The intent of the people was restrained, however, so that the Lord could complete his work. Another example of such hatred leading to murder continues with verse 21. Or in enmity, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies. Again, there is fighting which is not done in enmity, but as sport. And there is fighting which is done with enmity towards one another. In that case, if one of those fighting kills the other, then verse 21 continues. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The same penalty exists whether a person uses an iron implement, a stone, a baseball bat, or even one's hand. The result, the result is what matters, not the means of obtaining it. This is the reason for stating these precepts here. There was to be no leniency for any supposed mitigating circumstances. When someone committed murder, he was reckoned as a murderer. And therefore, verse 21 finishes, the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. The Goel Haddam, or avenger of the blood, was to be the one to put the murderer to death. In the coming verses, we will see that this precept is firm and fixed, and the murderer had no way out for his actions. This is the severity of the law and what the law demanded. But Jesus came to those under this law and told them that the intent behind the actions are what truly demand judgment. When speaking out the Sermon on the Mount, he said this to the people gathered there, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. The law was given because intent is not always knowable. At times, as we have seen, it is evident, and it was to be used in judgment. But the Lord always knows the intent of the heart. To him, the intent behind the act, even if it isn't carried out, is liable to judgment, and in such judgment, punishment is to be expected. The law was the standard for Israel, but within the law is found the greater standard by which God judges all things. When he said, do not covet, 
He spoke out a law of which the breaking of it might not be known to anyone except him and the Lord. But the Lord does know, and he applies his standard of righteousness to all such things. In our society, we have tried to find every possible excuse imaginable for not upholding our own laws. I talked about that in the Prophecy Update today. And if guilt is found, we then go to great lengths to find exceptions for punishment of the violation. But God does not work that way. He can be merciful, but his mercy must never violate another one of his attributes. In order to be merciful, there must still be a meeting of the law in some other way. He cannot arbitrarily show mercy to one named Linda Dwyer without arbitrarily seeming vindictive towards another when he judges Jim Dwyer, right? Because God is perfectly righteous, any violation against his righteousness must be judged, or he is not perfectly righteous. But he is, and therefore his righteousness cannot be compromised. God is perfectly just because he is the penalty for violation of his righteous laws must be perfect. The law demands that every violation be punished and that the wages of sin is death. We have earned death and we have earned condemnation. If we do not receive this, then God is not perfectly just. But he is. God is perfectly holy. Because we are made unclean from our transgressions against his perfectly holy nature, we must be forever separated from him, or he is not perfectly holy. But he is. The way that God resolves these tensions which arise through his many unchanging attributes is by accepting the responsibility for them in himself. In his uniting with humanity, he was able to do this. He lived righteously, and he offers that righteousness to us. He remained holy and separate from sin. Then he offers that holiness to us. In his coming, he gave grace. And in his cross, he offers mercy. All of the tension between us and our creator is reconciled through the blood of the cross of Christ. Through him and through him alone, fellowship is restored and peace is realized. This will be seen as we continue through the rest of this passage next week. For now... Please pay heed and understand that what God has done in Christ is available to you by a simple act of faith. Have faith. Believe that Christ died for your sins and that he rose again for your justification. Call on Christ Jesus today and be reconciled to God through him. Everything is leading to a final conclusion in this chapter. And it all points to one thing, which I just explained to you in detail. Jesus. It all points to him and what he has done and what he continues to do for us. As we saw last week, the word ratzach is translated in English as murder and manslayer, but it's the same word in the Hebrew. It implies guilt. You can kill somebody in war, and you're not guilty of wrongdoing. You can kill a capital criminal, and you are not guilty of wrongdoing. But if you unintentionally hit somebody outside of the laws that God has set down, you are a murderer. You're a murderer, ratzach. And there's only one place that you can flee to, and that is to the grace of of the city of refuge, picturing Jesus. Everybody got that? That's what he has given us there. And we've all committed murder, as we saw last week, from citing the book of James. We're all guilty, every one of us. We've hated somebody in our heart. We've lusted after somebody's wife. We've lied. We've stolen. We've cheated. We've done all of these things. And if you haven't done all of them, you've broken one, which does break all of them. It's done. We're separated. And as it says there, God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is all of those things. And there's a tension between them because he can't violate one of them in order to overlook another. And so how did he do it? 
He stepped out of the eternal realm into the stream of humanity and united with his creation in the person of Jesus Christ. He himself took the burden of our sin upon himself and he died in exchange for our sins. That is the greatness and the glory of what Jesus Christ did. He loves us enough to do that and all you have to do is receive him by faith. That is it. There's nothing else you need to add to it. I saw somebody post something yesterday about um, the Salvation Army has a false gospel because they say you can lose your salvation. And I said, correction, the Salvation Army teaches the gospel and then they get it wrong after that. Just because they get it wrong after that doesn't mean it's a false gospel. They're teaching that you need to come to Jesus to be saved. You have bad doctrine. It says you can lose that salvation. That's not the gospel. That's just doctrine afterward. Okay, get your boxes straight. There are boxes that we must live within in theology. When you are saved, you are saved. If somebody tells you you can lose your salvation, their theology is lacking. But it doesn't mean you weren't saved by the proclamation they made about Jesus dying for your sins. So please come to Jesus. He will resolve all of these petty issues later. Get saved through his shed blood now is what needs to happen. Okay, our closing verse is from Psalm 9. It's verse 12. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Next week, I put down that it's going to be our Christmas sermon. I'm going to say, or our final sermon in Numbers 35. So we'll see. I I would prefer to do that on Christmas Day because it's pointing to exactly what Christ did. If somebody rebels, I may change my mind, but that's my preference is to do the Numbers 35 sermon and just be done with it. And then we'll finish the year with the Daughters of Zelophehad and we'll start something new on the first of the year. Great stuff either way. Whichever way we go, great stuff. Okay. Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you're lost in the desert and you're wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there and he's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I got a question for you today. I've got a special question. I know somebody's going to get it. I know they are because I've said it before in a study, but uh, I mentioned Robert Duvall hit somebody with a baseball bat in the movie The Apostle. Everybody know that? Where is baseball mentioned in the Bible? He got it. He gets a Maserati in the big inning. That's right. In the big inning. Okay, I have a real question for you. Where is it explicitly noted that Christ is the avenger of blood? Explicitly noted. Nobody? No, Christ. Christ. You got the right... It has to be Hebrews. It has to be. No. Revelation 6, verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The Lord is the avenger of blood. I tied it into the psalm hoping somebody would get it, but that's okay. We got one Maserati going to Mr. Magnuson this week. All right. Before I uh, read our poem, I'd like to tell you that Doug's painting this week was brilliant. If you saw it on Facebook, it was brilliant. It was, I hate to say it, he always tries to fit me into his painting somewhere. I'm back there, he always got the swirly mustache. He's got me running barefooted, like from Jerusalem to Jericho with these flowing robes. He didn't, I didn't gird my thing and I could trip over my robes, but he's got me running and a dead guy over there bleeding all over himself. So 
It was a very good painting. I mean, not because it was me. It was just a brilliant painting. It really was. So if you get a chance, look at it. And it'll be on the uh, sermon for the folks that see it later on YouTube. Anyway, here we go. A place of refuge. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying the words to him he was relaying. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, yes, and Canaan is where? Then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger who his rage would otherwise vent, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge there where you live. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge, which is the city's point. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there, so to you I tell. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Do not heed his, I beg for mercy, cries. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death as if an eye for an eye. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Do not even bat an eye. The avenger of blood himself shall... Put the murderer to death, as to you I say. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. It shall be this way. If he pushes him out of hatred, or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or an enmity strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. Do not heed his begging for mercy cries. He is a murderer, and his fate shall be swift and grim. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily, it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is a place where we can go to, a place of refuge where the sins of our lives and the things that we have done which have offended you are covered over and we are safe within those sacred walls Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is that city of refuge. And thank you for all that you did to make that possible. Even from the very beginning of time itself, you were planning, planning, and implementing the plan from the very beginning, all the way through human history to lead to that day when he would come and he would give his life for us on the tree of Calvary. How wonderful that is. What a thing to think. What a thing to contemplate. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for it. We praise you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.